Thank you for coming out tonight. As we continue in this Passion Week, the emphasis that we are having is on intercessory prayer. On this past Sunday, on Palm Sunday, we considered the fact that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayer by teaching us how to pray and by offering his own prayers for us in keeping with the will of God. Tonight, we're going to consider Christ's intercessory prayer for us during his earthly ministry. And then on Resurrection Sunday, we are going to consider Christ's intercessory prayer as the risen Lord, seated at the right hand of the Father. I said we're going to focus on Christ's intercessory prayers for us, that is, we who are believers and have a saving relationship to Jesus Christ, there are occasions in which Christ has interceded for non-believers as well. One of them is when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he was being crucified and the soldiers were uh, casting lots for his garments. And Jesus prayed and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He interceded for them. He prayed on their behalf they would not be destroyed. That uh, prayer for their salvation was not in a salvific sense, but simply that they would be not killed instantly for the blasphemous thing that they were doing. However, the great and uh, most often prayers of Christ are indeed for his people. Um, one of the best-known intercessory prayers is certainly only for his own. That most significant prayer is found in John chapter 17, and it was during his earthly ministry. And in that prayer, Jesus makes it very clear that he's not praying for unbelievers. He said specifically in John 17, 9, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. However, in John chapter 17, Jesus is not praying simply for his immediate disciples, but he's praying for believers of all time. For Jesus said in John 17, 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So we were included in that prayer of Jesus as well. But tonight, we're going to focus on a very specific and brief intercessory prayer that Jesus offers on the behalf of Peter on the very night before the crucifixion. It would have been the night that we are celebrating. Uh, it would have taken place uh, immediately after uh, communion. And uh, Jesus says to Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 22, if you haven't done that already. Luke chapter 22, there are actually three passages that I'm going to be looking at tonight, so you may want to have something available to keep your place. But we're going to be starting in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. The theme is lessons from Christ's intercessory prayer on the behalf of Peter. Lessons from Christ's intercessory prayer on the behalf of Peter. 
The first thing I want you to note is that Christ's intercessory prayer is an enlightened prayer. An enlightened prayer. Jesus is very well aware of the evil one's opposition to God's people. Satan was an adversary not only to Peter but to all the disciples. If you look at verse 31, it reads, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. Now in English, a you can be either singular or plural, unless you're in the south and you have y'all. But uh, uh, as we read this verse, uh, I think the tendency is to look at that and think that it's in the singular. Simon, uh, Simon, Satan desired to have you that you may sift it as wheat. But in reality, it's in the plural. Uh, it is, Satan has desired all of the disciples that he may sift them as wheat. Each one of them is going to be attacked. Each one of them is going to come under their own particular temptation. All of the disciples, as I said, are going to be attacked that evening. Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. To sift is an agricultural term in which the head of grain is separated from the shell and the stalk. Thus, Satan wants to separate or uh, cause you to go to pieces. He wants to see what you are made of. Satan wants to expose the disciples' sinfulness. He wants to reveal that the disciples are not as faithful as they represent themselves to be. He wants to expose them. And the weakness of the disciples is demonstrably exposed. Matthew 26, 56. But all this has taken place that the scriptures and the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. All of them had declared their allegiance to Christ. All of them had said, we will be faithful to you. Each one of them fled. Satan is not only the adversary to the immediate disciples, but to each and every one of us as well. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's quite ironic that Peter is the one who writes that lesson to us. But uh, our adversary wants to sift us as wheat as well. Jesus informs Peter to make Peter aware of the seriousness of the situation. Peter will not only have to deal with his own fears, Peter will not only have to deal with the fear that results from the Roman army, but Peter is going to have to deal with the onslaught of the evil one himself. Jesus is very well aware of the weaknesses of his people. He said in Matthew 26, 34, Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter was unaware of his own weakness. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I never will fall away. I'm not like the others. Oh, they may fall away. Uh, they may be unfaithful to you, this group that surrounds me, but 
I stand head and shoulders above. I'm of a different ilk. They may forsake you, but I won't. So too often in our own weakness, we might think ourselves to be stronger than others. We might think that we're going to stand when other people would flee. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, and 12 says, Now these things happen to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on whom we and the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Any one of us that thinks we are above temptation or there is some sin that we wouldn't commit, though we may look and say, well, other people do that, other Christians, but I wouldn't, not me. I am of a different breed. Uh, we must be aware of our own limitations. Jesus is fully aware of the necessity of his intercessory prayer on behalf of his disciples. Thus, Jesus' response to Satan's activity. Notice verse 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. Now these words... But I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. Satan's demand is to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Peter is singled out by Christ. Here, the you switches to the singular. Verse before, it was the plural. All the disciples are going to be sifted as wheat. But Jesus says, Peter, I have prayed for you. That is not to insinuate that he didn't pray for the other disciples. But rather, it's to say that, Peter, I know your weakness, though you do not. And he said, I have, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. While we may be indifferent to our spiritual needs, Jesus is not. Jesus is the faithful high priest. He is not turned off by Peter's arrogance, but understands the real heart need that's present in Peter's life. Jesus informs Peter of Jesus' prayer for a number of reasons. First, to bring comfort to Peter. Second, to bring hope to Peter, so that Peter knows that when indeed he has failed and has denied the Lord as the Lord said he would, that there is forgiveness. And it's to bring a greater commitment from Peter. Notice verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, there's the hope. When you have been restored, strengthen your brothers. Application. It's to be a source of comfort for us to know that Christ has and is praying for us. And it's a source of hope, knowing that Christ has and is praying for us. But it's also a source of responsibility to know that Christ has and is praying for us. There is this ministry to which Peter has been entrusted that's described as strengthening your brothers. And I'll talk about that more in just a few moments. But the second point I have for you tonight is that Christ's intercessory prayer is an effectual prayer. The first was that it was an enlightened prayer. Here is, it was an effectual prayer. The essence of Christ's intercessory prayer is found in verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
The pronoun, as I said, now switches from singular, excuse me, from plural to singular. But we want to think a moment about what does that mean that your faith will not fail? Well, first of all, Christ's intercessory prayer did not mean that Peter would never be tempted. For Peter is going to be severely tempted. Secondly, it doesn't mean that Peter would never sin. For Peter is going to sin that night. Third, it doesn't mean that, that Peter would never be ashamed or unwilling to associate with Jesus. For he is going to deny, deny Jesus three times. So then we must ask ourselves, well, what does it mean? If it doesn't mean those things, what does it mean that his faith will not fail? Well, it means that Peter will never totally or completely fall away. People, Peter will be restored to faith and confidence in the Lord. That's referred to in verse 32. When you have turned again. When you have turned again. Peter is not in need of salvation. Peter is born again. Jesus is not saying to Peter, you don't belong to me. You need to be converted. You, you need to come into a saving relationship with me. No. What Peter is going to need is a tremendous turnaround in his life. He is going to have to get back on course. He is going to have to move from the place of denial to a place of boldness and willingness to associate with Jesus Christ. He need, there's going to be a need to get back on track. Not just Peter, but all of the disciples. And all of the disciples, except for Judas, of course, because he's the son of perdition, but all the true disciples, though they all flee from him, will all be restored to their commitment. All of them will continue on in their service for Christ. All of them are going to be used as, as apostles. And so there's this admonition, strengthen your brothers. There's also a tremendous confidence we can have. For the Bible teaches us that we too will never completely fall away. Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We're going to find out on Sunday as we look at Christ's intercessory prayers that, that Christ is praying for us in heaven even now. And we have the assurance that our faith will never fail. We too commit sins. We too give in to temptation. And we too may at times be ashamed and deny the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have this promise that Christ is interceding for us and as a result 
our faith will not fail. But what I really want to emphasize tonight is Christ's intercessory prayer is an exemplary prayer. An exemplary prayer. In other words, we should follow it. If you look at Luke chapter 22, verse 32, it says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. So tonight, I want us to contemplate how does one go about strengthening one's brothers? What does that look like in a practical sense? What was Jesus charging Peter to do? I would submit to you that there are a number of elements. It has to do with teaching. It has to do with uh, encouragement. It has to do with a number of things. But I would submit to you that the number one priority is praying for your brothers. Even as Jesus had prayed for Peter in order to strengthen Peter, in order to bring Peter back, how are you going to go about redeeming, reconciling, helping a struggling fellow believer? I submit to you that the answer in this text is we pray for them. We pray for them. That their faith would not fail. That they would be restored. That they would come back. That they would be turned from the way in which they're going. Back on the right path. The role of intercessory prayer in keeping watch over our souls and the souls of others. Here's we go to the second text. So keep your finger here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, we are now in the garden. The key verse of this garden episode for us tonight is verse 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The context is that Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Matthew 26, 36. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Jesus asked Peter and James to pray also. Matthew 27, Matthew 26, 37, and 38. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Watch with me. Remember verse 41, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation, that you do not give in to temptation. Jesus is asking them to pray for him. He is very open, very candid, and very explicit in verse 38. He said to them, 
My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He's asking them to intercede for himself. He's asking the disciples, pray for me. Pray for yourselves that you do not enter into temptation. Pray for me that I do not enter into temptation. Jesus then prays, verse 39, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible for this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus then comes and rebukes Peter. Verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? You who are willing to die for me? You who are never going to forsake me? You who are willing to go to prison for me? Couldn't you pray with me for an hour? Verse 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. There's a, a very significant point of informing theology at this point. Remember, the crucifixion is in association with the Passover. It's always, not always, but recently, has become very striking to me that Jesus died not on the Day of Atonement, but he died on the Day of Passover. Or most often, we always speak about the atonement and we, we talk about the Day of Atonement and so on in association with Christ's death, but he died on Passover. And that becomes extremely significant for us. Jesus is referred to as the Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus had just eaten the Passover meal with the disciples and then turned the Passover meal into the Lord's Supper that we're celebrating tonight when he said, take, eat, <coughs> this is my body which is broken for you <coughs> in remembrance of me. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when the cloud passes over and Jesus is there speaking with the Father and with Moses and with Elijah and the disciples are gathered together. It says that they were, spoken, they were speaking to him about his departure is what uh, the uh, English Bible reads, but the word for departure is exodus. They were speaking about Christ's exodus and there is a direct reference back to the Old Testament Passover. So, with that in mind, I'd like us to turn, but you need an ESV Bible for this, because the other Bibles don't translate it this way. So if you don't have an ESV Bible that you're carrying, there's one under the pew. But I would encourage you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 12 in the ESV Bible. 
Exodus chapter 12. Give you the context. We are speaking of the Passover. Exodus 12, 21 and following. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Exodus 12, 21 in the ESV. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised you, you shall keep this service. So they are to observe Passover on a yearly basis. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Now jump down to verse 40. That just gave us the context. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, on Passover, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Now notice this. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by the people of Israel throughout their generations. So Passover was to be a night of watching. God watching over his people and the people of Israel watching. It was a night of the Lord, as I say, watching over his people Israel. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the people with respect to the Lord. So the same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel. The point for us tonight is that when Jesus went into the garden to watch and pray, it was a continuation of the Passover celebration. When Jesus went into the garden to pray that night, it was in full observance of what should be done on Passover. What do you do on Passover? How do you celebrate Passover? You watch. You watch. You celebrate God's watching over you, and you pray for the watching of God over yourselves and others. It was the Lord Jesus Christ watching over his people. When Jesus prayed, not my will but yours be done, his prayer to the Father was more than just prayer for himself. It included his disciples. It was to fulfill the purpose for which God had called him. In the book of Hebrews, it uses this incident to refer to Christ's 
intercessory prayers on our behalf. Hebrews 5, 6, and 7. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So here is Jesus in his tears offering up prayers, Hebrews says, as a high priest interceding for us. If there is some other way to save your people, but if not, your will be done. Deliver your people. When Jesus said, watch and pray, there's a context to this. There's a reality to this. There's a history to this. It was a reminder to the disciples that this is what we do on Passover. We celebrate God's care for us who watched over us. And we, in turn, pray and intercede for others that God would protect them and God would watch over them and that God would care for them and for us. So tonight, before we partake of communion, I'd like us to spend a few moments in private prayer. Not audible, but right where you are, I would encourage you to pray, and I would ask you to do this. First, as we prepare for the partaking of communion, as we seek to be spiritually nourished by reflecting on the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, I would encourage us to pray that God would keep us from temptation. That we would not enter into some great sin that is going to derail us. He has prayed. Our faith will not ultimately fail. But we can deny. We can enter into temptation. We can be ashamed. We can go off course. Pray that we would not enter into temptation. And then this. I ask you to take a moment and reflect on three people that you know are born-again Christians who are not walking with the Lord. Three people that you're aware of. Not in a judgmental sense. Not that we are judging them and coming down upon them, but we are seeking to strengthen our brothers and sisters. We are seeking to bring them back. We are seeking to help them. So think about three people tonight that you know really need the Lord's intervention in their hearts and minds to restore them and get them back on the right track. Pray for yourself. Think of three people. Let's pray.
pray and ask for your grace in our lives. I pray that you would deliver us from evil. You would lead us not into temptation. Lord, we, we pray for our brothers and sisters in general and in private specifically. For individuals that are struggling tremendously. And we'd ask, oh God, that you would grant them deliverance. That you'd bind the evil one. And Lord, that you would do a work in their hearts and bring them back. Put them on the right track. Strengthen them, Lord. I pray that you would use communion in our hearts and lives tonight to strengthen us. Lord, fortify us as we reflect about the body and blood of Lord Jesus. Watch over us, O Lord. Forgive us for our sins. And Lord, help us in our resolves. That as we dedicate ourselves anew and afresh to you tonight, that Lord, we would realize that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we would repeatedly come before you asking for strength and help, deliverance. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, we will ask the brethren to come forward, and we will observe communion. If you know Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're welcome to participate. If you do not, we just ask that you would refrain, not because of any rule that we have, but because of what the Word of God teaches concerning the soberness of communion.